Get ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone, your home for the weekly news from around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. So anybody down for shots? She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about entertainment, gaming, and maybe just a little bit bizarre. Hold tight, because here she comes. Thank you so much, Raven, for that warm, warm welcome. Hello there, my friends, and good day to you all. Welcome back to the Starter Zone. I am your guide, Amanda. It's great to see you all here back after a short holiday break, and my goodness, was it very much needed. But we have a lot to catch up on. There's two weeks of info. So it is now time to bring you the headlines from all of the entertainment news sources. Today is the 29th of December, and a secret birthday shout-out to my favorite person in the world. Let's now take a look at some of the headlines we're going to be covering. We've got some updates to some stories that we ran a few months ago, and a couple of big football names have gotten fined. There's a now former G League NBA player that's been arrested, and there's a lot to go over there. Luke Combs comes to the rescue of a fan. The naked Nirvana baby is headed back to court again. A whole bunch of closures and cancellations are happening in the gaming sector. We've got a story about a tarpon and a possum and some fireball. Get super comfy, my friends. Let's get started. All right, let's get things started with some music news. Award-winning country artist Luke Combs woke up on Wednesday, December the 13th, to news reports of a very distraught fan. A Florida woman by the name of Nicole Harness was being released from the hospital where she'd been treated for congenital heart failure, had learned that she had just been hit with a massive financial penalty by a federal judge in Illinois in a lawsuit brought by Combs to the tune of $250,000 to be exact. Harness told local news outlet WFLA that after she went to his concert in Tampa, she decided to begin selling Combs-themed tumblers on her Amazon store online and was using some artwork that she had purchased to create these tumblers, which she she was selling for like 20 bucks each and had earned a total of about $380 from the sale of about 18 tumblers. Her Amazon account was also frozen that the thousands of dollars of her money had been seized. She said, I sent so many messages to Amazon asking for answers but couldn't figure it out. And she added that she had then discovered an email from Combs' attorney in her junk mail folder for an account that she rarely uses, and it gave her 21 days to respond. The October email arrived while she was hospitalized. Oh, 
But there is a happy ending to this story as Combs apologized and dropped her from the suit after he became aware of the situation. He posted a video on TikTok and Instagram in which he explained that the legal action that Harness found herself swept up in was directed at large-scale counterfeiters seeking to profit off of his name and his likeness. He said, quote, I woke up at 5 a.m. to use the restroom and the first thing I saw is this a woman that's being sued by me for $250,000. I spent the last two hours trying to make this right, trying to figure out what's going on because I was completely and utterly aware of this. The singer said he spoke to Harness the following morning and said she was absolutely shocked by this. He said, I'm so apologetic. Talking to her, it makes me sick, honestly, that this would happen, especially at the holidays. The singer said that she told him that the ruling had locked her Amazon account depriving her of $5,500 that was frozen to go towards the court's $250,000 that she'd been ordered to pay. He told her, I'm going to double that and send her an $11,000 today just so she doesn't have anything to worry about. She was never supposed to be involved in anything like this. No fan should be involved in anything like this. Combs also said that he would add the Tumblr to his official merchandise website with all the proceeds going to Nicole and her family to try to help with her medical bills. Now that is an exceptionally stand-up guy. All right, now let's talk about a man named Spencer Eldon. Eldon was the baby on the cover art of Nirvana's 1991 Nevermind album. You know, the naked four-month-old baby underwater looking at the dollar bill on the hook. You know, that cover. All right, we got to cut that song out. Otherwise, we'll be jamming all day long. So let's go ahead and let's talk about this one. Apparently, Eldon has been trying to sue Nirvana for a while. And I remember this, hearing this story a while back. And I honestly thought this thing was over. So, you know, imagine my surprise when an update pops up. Back in September of 2022, a U.S. district judge in Los Angeles ruled that the Nevermind cover image did not constitute child pornography. That's the basis of this whole thing. Eldon feels he's been taken advantage of in that showing him in all of his naked four-month-old glory is child porn. Anywho, this was the third time Eldon has attempted to sue the surviving members of the band, Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic, as well as the estate of Kurt Cobain, a photographer, and numerous record labels. Now, at that time, the court told Eldon, who's now 32, boy, do I feel old now, uh, he would not be allowed to file a fourth lawsuit. And the, law, the lawyers that were representing Nirvana dubbed the ruling a final conclusion to the saga that had begun back in August of 2021. However, in December of 22, Eldon moved to appeal the court's dismissal, made a filing with the California Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals seeking monetary damages for, quote, extreme ongoing uh, psychic or emotional injury saying that the judge had ruled erroneously on the basis that the suit was bound to a statute of limitations now the court has reinstated his lawsuit in a ruling that was filed on thursday december the 21st according to the official summary the decision was made because each republication of child pornography may constitute a new personal injury and Eldon's complaint alleging republication of the album cover within the 10 years preceding his action was not barred by the state of 
of the statute of limitations. So essentially every time that they reprint this album with the album cover, it just renews this so where he can he's within the statute of limitations. The ruling also says that the question of whether the Nevermind album cover meets the definition of child pornography is not at issue in this appeal. So at the time of the appeal, Eldon's attorneys also claimed that Cobain had written like several journal entries that described this twisted vision for the Nevermind album cover as a manifestation of his emotional and sexual disturbances. And they started arguing that Cobain's preoccupation with this imagery started at a very early age. Okay, that may be reaching, but we'll see how it goes. Now, throughout, Nirvana's lawyers have remained pretty solid on their stance that Eldon has been fully aware of the facts, with David Grohl himself noting that Eldon has a tattoo based on the Nevermind artwork. So in addition to damages sought, Eldon's demands include Nirvana redacting the original Nevermind cover for any potential re-releases. He looked to have it censored for the album's 30th anniversary edition, but it didn't work. He was unsuccessful. Anywho, let's go check out some sports, shall we? So a while back, September to be precise, we talked about the story of Dale Mooney. Now, Dale was a 53-year-old from Newmarket, New Hampshire. He collapsed at Gillette Stadium on September the 17th after getting into a physical altercation during a game between the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins. Dale was pronounced dead at the hospital following this altercation. The initial autopsy indicated that Dale's death was the result of a medical issue, but the final results from the medical examiner determined that the altercation caused Mooney, who had severe atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, to experience a probable cardiac dysrhythmia that led to his death. It basically, the altercation, the hit to him caused his heart to not function properly and stop. John Vieira, 59, and Justin Mitchell, 39, both of Warwick, have been charged with assault and disorderly conduct per the Norfolk District Attorney, Michael Morrissey, who ruled that the existing evidence does not provide a sufficient basis for homicide charges at this time. Those two were arrested by Foxborough Police on October the 6th, according to a criminal complaint filed in the district court. Both men are scheduled to be arraigned in January of 2024. Also in the NFL. Back on December the 10th, the Buffalo Bills beat the Kansas City Chiefs 20-17. to And apparently, Coach Andy Reid and quarterback Patrick, Patrick Mahomes were pretty upset with the officiating of the game. And they were extremely vocal about it, too. But as a result, Coach Reed was fined $100,000 and Mahomes was fined $50,000 for criticizing the officials. Okay, I actually didn't know this policy was really a thing, but Reed and Mahomes are said to have violated the NFL's policy about public criticism of game officials. The comments were about an offside penalty that negated a touchdown that was late in the fourth quarter. Kadarius Tony clearly lined up offsides on a play in which he caught a lateral pass from Travis Kelsey and ran for what would have been 
a go-ahead score. Reed said officials normally warn players about being offside and call the penalty a bit embarrassing for the NFL. Mahomes, for his part, slammed his helmet on the sideline and screamed at the officials afterwards. And he said the penalty call was elementary school stuff. Kind of sounds like he might have had an elementary school type of tantrum over that call. And speaking of bad behavior, let's head over to the NBA. So the NBA has suspended Golden State Warriors forward Draymond Green indefinitely for striking Phoenix Suns center Yusuf Nurkic in the face during a game on December the 12th. Let's hear the audio from that game. Green, just such a great passer. Field just picked up his third foul. And now Green runs over Nurkic, and he'll be called for the foul. And they're going to take a look at this. See Jason Goble indicating they will go to the monitor here. Nurkic is down in a heap. Green just plows right over Nurkic. And we'll see if there's anything unnecessary added to it. Oh, oh. man. Well, that's going to be a flagrant. Yeah. For and sure. now they're going to just try to decide if they think it was excessive. It's going to be at least a flagrant one. Could be a two. Which would be an ejection. Boy, that is a swipe across the face. Green makes unnecessary and excessive contact to the face. The foul has been upgraded to a flagrant foul penalty two. And Green has been ejected from the game. There you go. When you hear excessive... That's it. Draymond Green is out. The video associated with the whole play is just, it's very obvious that this was not an accidental hit. And I will include the link to that video down in my comments below. Green's suspension began immediately. And the NBA said he's going to have to, he's going to have to meet certain league and team conditions before he can even return to play. The 33-year-old is expected to receive counseling and he will have to work with the Warriors and the NBA while suspended. It's the second time this season alone that Green has been suspended for his on-court actions. Now, Green was previously banned for three games for choking Minnesota's Timberwolves center Rudy Gobert in an on-court skirmish between the two teams. But the NBA cited his repeated acts of on-court violence when issuing the indefinite suspension. Green has reportedly been attending individual counseling sessions along with several Zoom meetings with the league team and union officials as he's progressing towards reinstatement. He is allowed to practice and work out with the Warriors during the suspension, but he actually hasn't been doing it. The current expectation is for Green to return at some point in early January. Now, for Golden State, though, this suspension may actually be a blessing in disguise. Golden State has reeled off five wins in the first six games while Green has been serving the suspension. And Kerr has found success reconfiguring his starting lineup with Green out while moving Andrew Wiggins to the bench in favor of rookie Brandon Pogemski. ESPN reported that there was this general belief that Green's suspension was going to be a total of 11 to 13 games. However, they may extend that ban if he doesn't do these requirements for his return. The fans themselves don't actually seem to be too broken up. Many have called for his permanent removal from the league, citing concerns that his behavior won't change, even with the mandated counseling sessions. And even one point, one fan calling him a very dangerous individual because you never know when his temper is going to snap. Hopefully, he's going to get the help he needs so Golden State can get their player back.
keeping with the NBA, we're going to talk about the NBA G League player that has been arrested by the FBI. He was arrested on Friday, December the 15th, in connection with the disappearance of a 23-year-old woman in Las Vegas. Uh, By the way, the G League is the official minor league organization of the National Basketball Association. Okay. Chance Comanche is a 27-year-old who is with the Stockton Kings, the NBA's Sacramento Kings affiliate in the G League. He was arrested and booked on charges of first-degree kidnapping in Sacramento. He was booked on this felony charge and states that he's not eligible for bail. The Kings, for their part, released Comanche shortly after the arrest was made. The Kings and the NBA did not immediately answer a request for comment. The victim in this case is Mariana Rogers, who's a Washington medical assistant, and she disappeared on December the 6th while on a trip to Las Vegas to visit friends. Now, according to 8 News Now investigators, she got into a car with a woman by the name of Sakari Harnden, 19 years old. Harnden is also facing a first-degree kidnapping charge. Her bail at a downtown Las Vegas jail was set at $500,000. Comanche had played a G League game against a developmental team the G League Ignite in Henderson, Nevada on December the 5th, the night before Rogers went missing. Henderson's only 15 miles away from Las Vegas, but it's unclear how long Comanche stayed in Vegas. The Kings played the Rip City Remix in Portland, Oregon on the 17th, and Comanche was there for that game, so he obviously left before the 7th. A criminal complaint stated that Harnden held or detained Rogers against her will and without her consent for the purpose of killing her and or inflicting bodily harm. Las Vegas Justice Court Judge Diana Sullivan, who set Harnden's bail, requested that the state notify the court immediately if the alleged victim is located alive. Okay, so wait a minute. At this point, they don't even know where the victim is. All they know is that she's missing, and then Harnden and Comanche are somehow involved. All right, now... It was something that shocked the loved ones of Rogers, and they said it was so out of character for her to just leave her family as well as the dogs that she took with her to Las Vegas. But there's more. It turns out Mariana Rogers was a friend of Harnden, so there's a connection there. And when he was being interrogated about the kidnapping, Comanche started to confess. Chance Comanche admitted to kidnapping and killing Rogers with his ex-girlfriend Harnden in Las Vegas. In a warrant that was filed with the Clark County District Court, police say the pair lured the victim to a secluded location under the guise of a prostitution deal. The pair then strangled Rogers in Harnden's vehicle before dumping her body in a ditch and covering it with rocks. Following his confession, Comanche actually showed detectives where Rogers' body was buried, and a police arrest warrant shows Comanche and Harnden are now being charged with murder in the death of Rogers. Comanche did have a court appearance in Sacramento, waived extradition. So now Las Vegas officials have 30 days to take him back to Nevada to face charges. Harnden made her appearance in court with a bond set at $500,000 and is set to return for arraignment in February. So this is really the worst ending that you can expect. One thing that I didn't see reported at first was the motive for the killing. I mean, like I said, at least initially. So now... Reports are coming out. People are really starting to talk. Harnden and Rogers apparently were both sex workers, and Harnden had this ongoing dispute with the victim over an expensive watch. A watch. 
Okay, according to court documents, Comanche basically tattled and said that friends had told his ex-girlfriend, Harnden, that the victim, Rogers, had said she was going to smoke her if Harnden didn't give her a Rolex. So a dispute over this watch caused Harnden and her ex-boyfriend to have Comanche pose as this customer, this sex customer, who would tie Rogers' hands behind her back, and then he would use a cord to strangle her while Harnden used both of her hands to facilitate the strangulation. But that's not all. There's actually still more. This thing went a little deeper. So Rogers' boyfriend, Tremaine, talked to police, too, and he talked about an altercation between Harnden and Rogers that had happened two days before the killing on December the 4th. And then according to the court documents that have been posted, Tremaine also said Harnden had implicated her current boyfriend in a double murder in California. But she got upset at Mariana Rogers for telling that for telling other people about it. So Rogers is over here talking about this double murder and Harnden gets mad and decides, you know what? I'm tired of her. Let's take her out. It appears also that Comanche tried to hire somebody to take Rogers out, but they couldn't get anybody. So they just decided to take matters into their own hands. The story is still ongoing. So as we find out more, we'll let you know. It just, it sounds like Harnden and Comanche are both talking to police and confessing and such. So we should see a relatively quick resolution uh, but absolutely, I mean, condolences to the family of Mariana Rogers. I was really hoping when I first heard about the story that she was going to be okay. But we're all disappointed, and it's just it's really sad to hear what what caused these two to decide that she didn't deserve to live anymore. All right, deep breath. Let's go check out some entertainment news. Tell me something good, guys. It has been three years since we lost the great Alex Trebek, longtime host of the game show Jeopardy. And ever since, we've been searching for that next permanent host. Among some of the tryouts has been Ken Jennings. Jennings became this household name after he had a 74-episode winning streak in the early 2000s that earned him more than, I think it was more than $2.5 million in prize money. His run was huge. It was epic. It was historic. Since 2021, though, sharing that host role with him has been former Big Bang Theory actor Mayim Bialik. Now, Bialik won a primetime Emmy nomination for her hosting this past year and had split the hosting duties with Jennings, but she also appeared as a solo host on the inaugural season of Celebrity Jeopardy. Now, earlier this year, she actually did stop appearing on the show after she declared her support for the Hollywood writer strike, but now it appears she's out completely. Making the announcement on her Instagram, she wrote, I am deeply grateful for the opportunity to have been part of the Jeopardy family and said that Sony had informed her of its decision to have just one host for the forthcoming season, effectively handing the reins to Jennings. Best wishes to Mayim because she was an excellent host. Now, 
there's another story we've been watching, and that's the ongoing saga of Jonathan Majors. Majors was this rising star who had appeared in Disney's Marvel franchise, as well as Creed 3. And yes, I did say was. A New York jury found Majors guilty of assault and harassment of his former girlfriend during a domestic dispute. One count of reckless assault in the third degree and a non-criminal charge of harassment as a violation. He was acquitted on another assault charge and one count of aggravated harassment. Shortly after news of the verdict, a source with knowledge of the matter told CNN that Marvel Studios would not be moving forward with any future projects with Majors, who was set to star as the villainous Kang in the upcoming Avengers The Kang Dynasty. The trial that began on December the 4th stems from a March domestic dispute involving Majors and his former girlfriend, Grace Jabari. Majors had pleaded not guilty to misdemeanor charges of assault and aggravated harassment. During closing arguments last week, though, prosecutors alleged Majors didn't hesitate to use physical violence against Jabari when he grabbed Jabari's right hand, twisted her arm behind her back, and then struck a blow to her head. Major's attorney reiterated his innocence during her closing argument, calling the accusations against him fake and alleging that Jabari was the aggressor in the argument. Majors didn't testify at all during the trial, but he was present in the courtroom for the duration of the proceedings. According to the New York Times, Jabari testified on December the 5th that Majors assaulted her in the backseat of a car during the March dispute, which prosecutors said happened after Jabari saw a romantic text message on his phone from some other person. Now, with Major's career trajectory already paused because of the trial, his professional future is pretty much now in question, as the actor could face up to a year in prison for the assault conviction, and he also faces a maximum of 15 days in jail and a $250 fine just for the harassment violation alone. The sentencing is scheduled for February 6th next year. So another story that we started following was about Ruby Frank. Now, Frank was a YouTube vlogger out of Southern Utah, and she was accused of child abuse. Well, Frank ended up entering a plea deal on Monday, December the 18th, and pleaded guilty to four counts of second-degree felony aggravated child abuse. She was charged with six counts back in early September when we first heard about the story, but the remaining two charges have been dismissed as part of the deal. The sentencing hearing for Frank has been scheduled for Tuesday, February the 20th, and she's facing up to 15 years in prison for each guilty count for a maximum of 60 years. Frank will remain in state custody until her sentencing. A state prosecutor told ABC4 that Frank had agreed to testify truthfully against Jody Hildebrandt, her partner, who was also accused of six count of second-degree felony aggravated child abuse. Now, Hildebrandt was scheduled for a hearing on Wednesday, December the 27th. Both Frank and Hildebrandt were taken into custody back in early September after two of Frank's children were found emaciated in Hildebrandt's Washington County home. Frank's 12-year-old son was reportedly able to escape and went to a neighboring home asking for food and water. The neighbor then called 911, thank you, saying the boy had tape on his ankles and his wrists and had deep lacerations from being tied up with rope. Frank's husband recently filed for divorce, 
and has been actively seeking custody of the couple's other minor children. Those hearings have been held behind closed doors, so we don't know the outcome, but hopefully it will work out in the children's favor. That is a very happy theme song from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but a not happy piece of news for fans of the show and fans of Homicide, Life on the Street. 61-year-old Andre Brower has passed away. The two-time Emmy-winning star passed after a brief illness, and while Brower peppered his resume with comedies, many are going to remember him for his ferocious portrayal of Detective Frank Pembleton in the NBC drama Homicide, Life on the Street. But most recently, Brower starred alongside Andy Samberg in the hit comedy series Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and he won two Critics' Choice Awards for Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series and received four Emmy Award nominations for his role as Captain Ray Holt in the series that began on Fox and later moved to NBC. He played Captain Holt for eight seasons. Sir, I thought you said this was my case. I gave you two weeks. I'm done fending off the organized crime unit. Squad, since Peralta's briefing was cut short, you can all use this time to clean up your desks. Look at this place, half-eaten food, crumpled tissues, pictures of your families. What's wrong with pictures? If you love someone, you'll remember what they look like. Tributes from fans and fellow actors alike poured in following the announcement, making it very obvious that Brower will be deeply missed. All right, guys, let's go download the gaming news. It has been a busy couple of weeks in the gaming community. And the first story we're going to talk about is one of the more interesting ones just due to the sheer controversy surrounding the game. The game is called The Day Before. It's such an epic theme song going. The game is a multiplayer survival horror extraction shooter video game that was developed by Fantastic and published by Mytona. It was set in the future and players control a character who has to traverse and survive in this fictional post-apocalyptic New Fortune City, which has been overrun by zombies. It was announced back in 2021 and released in early access on December the 7th for Windows through uh, Steam. But the game's relatively lengthy development period the developers' inconsistent communication in in their insubstantial reputation, numerous delays coupled with allegations of plagiarism, gave rise to the charge that the game was a scam. Now, this was refuted by Fantastic on the 4th of December. They argued that they had not scammed anyone because they hadn't solicited funding from the public. Upon its release, the game was just panned by critics and players alike. Common observations were poor level design, a lack of round non-player characters, the absence of melee. Uh, Really? No melee in a zombie game? Okay. And various numerous technical issues and bugs. And some considered the game to be actually a different genre to what had been advertised, which was a massively multiplayer online and open world game. Okay, not a great start. So here comes December the 11th. And Fantastic has just announced its closure 
days after the game's launch. Yeah, the studio said, we're closing. The company said in a statement on its ex-Twitter account, quote, Today we announced the closure of Fantastic Studio. Unfortunately, the day before has failed financially. We lack the funds to continue. All income received is being used to pay off debts to our partners. The Fantastic adds that the future of the day before and prop night in the statement is unknown, and the servers are going to remain operational. But the game has been delisted from Steam since then. Now, prop night is one of the, is one of their other games. It was another. Uh, one that they had come out with that was an asymmetrical. We'll come back to that. Now, publisher Mytona wrote its own statement. We are sorry for the fact that the game didn't meet the expectations of the majority of the players. Today, we will work with Steam to open up refunds for any players who choose to make a refund. We're in contact with Fantastic regarding the future of the game, end quote. Now, still, this closure comes after fans did spend money on it, with it costing $39 in early access. And some players were already asking for refunds before the closure news even came to light. The backlash was so bad. The player count dropped almost 90% in four days, and it had soon entered Steam's 10 worst reviews games of all time. Then they released an updated timeline. The studio officially closed December the 22nd, you know, right before Christmas. But the game's servers will remain online until January 22nd, 2024, at which point they will be shut down permanently. As far as Prop Night, the other release, yep, that one's going offline too, January 22nd. Big bummer. Kind of makes you wonder, though. They're saying, you know, it was financially a failure four days after release. I would have figured you'd have gotten at least through Steam's winter sale first, through the first of the year, but obviously we don't know what's going on in the background, and I'm hoping that everybody who requests a refund gets a refund, because that's a pretty pretty big price to pay on a controversial, uh, not even completed game. I mean, early access for $39. I'm not a big fan of early access purchasing them. I like watching people play the early access so I can just kind of get my own opinion. But I'm not a big fan of buying them just because there's so much uncertainty. But I'll make exceptions on occasion. You know, you'll find one that you're just like, you know what, I want to support the developer. But with the day before and all the accusations, plagiarism, and I do remember when the game was originally pulled from Steam because of the, the accusations and then it came back up and people were happy. But then I started hearing the reviews of, people saying yeah it's not the right genre things are different than what we promised and it's like we had no man's sky all over again but at least with no man's sky they kept going and going and they pretty much made the game what they promised originally so huge props to hello games on that one but this one it was just it's it was sad from beginning to end it was such a cool premise people were super excited i mean we we, we love i love mmos i really do and I'm constantly on the lookout for another really good one that I can play with my friends and family. And this one seemed like it may have had exactly what I was looking for. But the more I watched it, it just got disheartening. So I'm really sad to hear that the studio is closing. Uh, but like I said, I'm hoping everybody's going to get their refunds. And um, we'll see where, what happens with the, uh, with the developers. See if they, you know, they restart a studio or what they're going to do. I don't know. But that studio is officially closed as of the 22nd of December. 
Now, also meeting an untimely end was The Last of Us Online. Announced back on December the 14th, developer Naughty Dog released a statement on their website that they had made the incredibly difficult decision to stop development on the game. The studio said it had been in pre-production on The Last of Us Online, even while working on The Last of Us Part 2. However, the, they said, quote, to release and support The Last of Us Online, we'd have to put all of our studio resources behind supporting post-launch content for years to come severely impacting development on future single-player games. So we had two paths in front of us, become a solely live-service game studio or continue to focus on single-player narrative games that have defined Naughty Dog's heritage, unquote. So the cancellation of The Last of Us Online adds to Sony's broader pushback on its live-service ambitions. And instead of releasing 12 live-service games by March of 2026, they now only have plans to release six. A Sony and Naughty Dog's The Last of Us Part Two Remastered is going to be released on January the 19th of 2024. And the second season of the hit HBO show is set to debut in 2025. All right, now to continue cancellation announcements because we just can't have enough, let us reserve a moment of silence for the loss of the long-running Electronic Entertainment Expo. That's right, friends. E3 is officially dead. The last E3 conference that was in person actually happened back in 2019, right before the COVID-19 pandemic. And, of course, in 2020, it was canceled as a result of the pandemic. In 2021, E3 went all digital. And in 2022, they canceled the show again. This year's attempt with PAX organizer Reed Pop, decided, they just decided to cancel that one, too. So the ESA president and CEO, Stanley Pierre-Louis, told the Washington Post after more than two decades of hosting an event that has served as a central showcase for the U.S. and global video game industry, the Entertainment Software Association has decided to bring E3 to a close. We know the entire industry, players, and creators alike have a lot of passion for E3, and we share that passion. We know it's difficult to say goodbye to such a beloved event, but it's the right thing to do, given the new opportunities our industry has to reach fans and partners, end quote. Now, I mean, this really doesn't come as a surprise to me. In the most recent years, former presenters of E3 have basically gone ahead and moved on. The major game companies, they've just created their own individual showcases. I mean, we've got the Summer Game Fest, PlayStation Showcase, Xbox Game Showcase, PC Gaming Show, on and on and on. It's sad to see the official end of the era, but the industry, they moved on a while ago. Okay, one last show to shut down announcement, I promise. Indie publisher Versus Evil has reportedly, reportedly laid off their entire staff as the holidays have begun, closing its doors after 10 years in operation. Per production head Lance James, the entire Versus Evil team was laid off on December the 22nd, and the choice was out of their hands. Well, shortly after, Versus Evil officially confirmed the news, saying it loved bringing players the best indie games we could find, and from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for everything. Versus Evil was founded by ZeniMax alum Steve Escalante, 
with its debut release being Stoic's The Banner Saga from 2014. Along with the game's sequels, the publisher released other indie games in its lifetime. But the publisher was acquired by Tiny Build back in 2021, and it continued as a complimentary publishing label. Its 2023 games included Little Guardsmen and Broken Roads. Now, all versus evil releases, including upcoming titles, have been moved over to Tiny Build. Now, let's talk Insomniac Games. Two weeks ago, ransomware group Rosita revealed it had hacked Marvel's Spider-Man 2 developer, Insomniac Games, and posted images to prove the validity of their claim, demanding 50 Bitcoin, which is roughly, I think they said $2 million, from Sony within seven days, or it was going to leak what it had discovered. Sony didn't comply with the demand, so now the group has released more than one terabyte of hacked data pertaining to Insomniac Games. The total leak comprised more than 1.3 million files for a total of 1.67 terabytes of data, and the leaked data includes information about Marvel's Spider-Man, some future Insomniac game titles, release schedules, private employee information, you know, like their tax and employment forms, internal studio messages, and more. A Cyber Daily reached out to Rosita and learned that the ransomware group specifically targeted Insomniac Games. They, the spokesperson told the publication over email, yes, we knew who we were attacking. The group also told Cyber Daily its motivation for the hack was financial. An informal agreement was made by most news outlets that they weren't going to disclose any of the hacked information. They weren't going to show any of the leaks. And most streamers actually agreed to this as well. They weren't going to show any info and honestly discussing anything beyond the basic news about the hacking. Everything really just went quiet because they didn't want to support anything that had been released. And now there's a new report claiming that the recently leaked Insomniac Games Spider-Man multiplayer project has also been canceled. Among the files stolen in the recent ransomware attack on the studio was an entire presentation on a game pitched as GTA Online meets Spider-Man, and it appears that game was among a number of Sony's live service projects that were ultimately shelved along the Last of Us multiplayer that we were just talking about. So that one, Last of Us multiplayer and the Spider-Man multiplayer, gone. So with the holidays upon us, many companies are really getting into the spirit and they're starting to give out themed rewards. But one company is doing something just a little bit extra this year. We've seen a number of ingenious methods of banning naughty players from video games over the years, but this latest attempt from Valve might just be the funniest one yet. Look, Valve is on the warpath, and they are clamping down on Dota 2 Smurf accounts in what is being called a bloodbath. As part of that, and the recent release uh, what they call the Frost of Us 2023 update, Valve is sending a surprise gift to Dota 2 Smurf accounts, even those belonging to professional players of the company's hugely popular MOBA. What the unsuspecting recipients of the in-game gift misleadingly described as a seasonal reward fail to realize is that it contains a highly toxic lump of coal that triggers a permanent ban. And that's exactly what happened 
to Dota 2 pro and streamer Mason Venn, who was surprised to see his account banned after opening the gift from Valve, in a clip that's now being widely shared online. What did you get from the gift chest? Oh, owned. Open gift. What did I get? What? I got banned? Till 118? What? <laughs> what if I just never opened it? Are they serious? Ugh. Yeah, Mason doesn't sound too happy now, does he? In a follow-up post on the Dota 2 subreddit, Mason admitting to and apologized for hiring a behavior score farmer to boost his in-game behavior score. Now, Valve apparently uses a behavior score system in an attempt to promote positive behavior and communication in Dota 2, which has a very bad reputation for toxicity. Mason has now pleaded with Valve to lift his ban, saying, I am completely understand what I did was wrong, and I know it's a hard ask, but I'm asking for leniency. I have never in my 13 years of playing Dota 2 ever done anything like this, and when I realized it felt wrong and was the wrong way to go about things, I stopped it. Sadly, you can't undo a mistake you made. I'm asking for a second chance because I will never do anything like this again than I never have in the past. There are no excuses. It was something born out of frustration. But we all get frustrated and disappointed in our situation sometimes. Doesn't mean we get to bend the rules, unquote. It's unclear whether Valve's going to lift the ban. What is clear is that the company is taking a really hard stance on these Dota 2 players who break the rules. And in a blog post explaining their position, Valve said it had some bad news for Dota 2 players that it deemed to be on their naughty list, because this year is going to be a bloodbath. Sounds like somebody's bringing out a pretty heavy ban hammer. hammer! Well, back in September of 2023, Valve swung a very heavy ban hammer as well and permanently banned 90,000 Smurf accounts. That's a nine with four zeros. They have said that this wave may, may actually be even more aggressive although they haven't released any numbers just yet, so we'll see the results of that bloodbath hopefully shortly. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, you filthy Smurfs. So the box office got pretty interesting these last two weeks, so let's go check out what happened. It's time for the box office breakdown. Hayao Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron had been number one the week of December the 10th, but how did it hold up with some widely promoted new releases on the horizon? Come with me And you'll be In a world of pure imagination. Warner Brothers released Wonka, starring Timothy Chalamet, and they took the box office gold in the opening weekend, scoring $39 million between December 15th and 17th. Now, the Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes stuck at number two with $5.8 million, while The Boy and the Heron slipped to number three with $5.5. Godzilla Minus One came in fourth, while Trolls Band Together rounded out the top five. But all eyes were on the following week, the big Christmas release weekend. Well, could Wonka hold on for a second week?
It tried, but it didn't. Aquaman 2 surged into theaters, releasing on December the 22nd, but the major wave that DC fans were hoping for ended up being a kind of small wave. The movie was surrounded by controversy in the form of Amber Heard and the DC Universe reboot. Aquaman took in $27 million in its opening three-day weekend and an estimated $40 million through the four-day holiday weekend. Now, those ticket sales were enough to top the domestic charts over the three other newcomers. Universal and Illumination's animated migration, Sidney Sweeney and Glenn Powell's romantic comedy, Anyone But You, and A24's sports biopic, The Iron Claw. But Warner Brothers and DC Studios' Aquaman 2 had very little to boast about beyond its number one spot. The sequel cost $205 million, but it ranks among the worst debuts of the year for a superhero movie. It's softer than the misfire of November, The Marvels, that took in $47 million, which ended its run as the lowest grossing installment in the history of Disney's Marvel Cinematic Universe. The Marvels was shocking because it was the rare MCU movie to tumble out of the gate. By contrast, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is shaping up to be the fourth of four DC movies this year to crumble at the box office. Already in 2023, The Flash had a $55 million debut, Shazam! Fury of the Gods took in $30 million, and Blue Beetle, $25 million. They all majorly flopped in theaters. Now, December releases are known to start slower, but enjoy staying power through the new year, and that was the case in 2018 when Aquaman came out. And it opened unspectacularly to, I think it was $67 million, but it gained enough. It ended up with $335 million in North America and over a billion globally. However, Aquaman 2 is facing choppier waters. So beyond the minimal buzz and the terrible reviews, Lost Kingdom, it's the final installment before DC new bosses, uh, James Gunn and Peter Safran, are resetting the sprawling superhero universe without heroes like Jason Momoa's Arthur Curry to save the day. We've talked about this many times over the last several months because we we were told, yeah, we're going to be rebooting and these characters, at least these actors, aren't coming back. But we're still releasing these movies and it's like, why? The, the enthusiasm just died. And as good of a, of a job as Jason Momoa did playing the part of Arthur, to put it bluntly, the fans pretty much checked out. They're like, why should we care? You've given us no reason to care. You're about to take these people away from us. So why are we going to invest our, our money into a movie that may be enjoyable, but it's going to go nowhere? Now, to be fair, James Gunn and Peter Safran could absolutely rebuild the DC universe into something greater than what it was turning out to be. It could be the best move ever. It's just right now it's controversial. So looking at the numbers, it looks like they make a mistake. But we may look look back at this in five years from now and go, this was the turning point and this was awesome. We'll have to wait and see, right? Now, Wonka may have slipped to number two for the box office last week, but it still took in a respectable $18 million. The animated movie Migration opened in third place with $12.3 million. This is a comedy about a family of mallard ducks that are heading south for the winter cost $70 million to produce, so they're off to a really respectable start. Sony's R-rated Anyone But You debuted in fourth place, collecting $9 million. 
while Indian action drama Salar Part 1 Ceasefire rounded out the top five with 5.4 million. A24's The Iron Claw landed in sixth place with 7.5 million, and that was over the four day holiday frame. This was only a $16 million budgeted drama, and it's one of the select A24 movies to open nationwide rather than roll out in limited release like their previous releases. The indie studio was so optimistic about the commercial appeal of The Iron Claw, which stars Zac Efron and tells the tragic story of the Von Erich family, a dynasty of professional wrestlers who were plagued with a series of tragedies. The Hunger Games prequel, you might ask? The Boy and the Heron and Godzilla Minus One all dropped down to 7th, 8th, and ninth place, respectively. I'm expecting to see a very interesting mix-up of these films as they start jockeying for a spot in the top five this coming weekend. We are currently tracking two new releases that came out Monday on the 25th, Ferrari and The Color Purple. These are the last two major releases of 2023. Now, what kind of odd stories did we find this week? Let's go find out. And now, for something different. All right. Let's start off with one of the most Florida stories ever. If you have ever been to a Bass Pro Shop, then you're probably familiar with the large fish tank that they keep stocked with fish. It's not for fishing. Calm down, guys. It's just a cool aquarium, and the kids just, they really get a big kick out of it. That being said, the Lee County Sheriff's Office said a young man went into a Bass Pro Shop and took a 50-pound live fish from the store's tank. I filled up two shopping carts late last night. One was full of fishing gear, the other Miller Lite. The checkout lady laughed and said, you think you've got enough? And I said, yeah, you're probably right and fill another two carts up. Don't catch all the fish, or drink all the beer, or anchor down, or stay here. According to the sheriff's office, the young man entered the Bass Pro Shops in Gulf Coast Town Center in Fort Myers, and then with a fishnet in hand, he took a tarpon from the store's indoor fish pond. Video taken by a witness shows the thief fleeing the store with the fish just thrashing around in the net. Detectives are working on identifying the culprit, and they're working with the Lee County Sheriff's Office Animal Cruelty Task Force, my FWC Florida Fish and Wildlife, and Southwest Florida Crime Stoppers in an attempt to locate those involved. The sheriff's office said, quote, we guess you could say this one will officially catch your eye. Good Lord, dad jokes. It's unclear if alcohol was involved, but I can tell you that with this next story, alcohol was indeed involved. A drunk driver in California smashed into a sign warning that police were on the hunt for anyone driving under the influence and was promptly arrested. Clarissa Hernandez had drunk a pint or half a liter of tequila before she plowed into the electronic signboard in Palm Springs back in August. Officers manning the DUI checkpoint a few steps away rushed over to the mangled Land Rover as Hernandez struggled free. A Palm Springs Police Department officer identified as Jay Val- Valdiva wrote in a report, quote, her eyes were bloodshot, red and watery, and her speech was slurred. She swayed forward and back continuously. She was angry, argumentative, and hostile, and added that when questioned, Hernandez says she had just polished off her tequila 10 minutes before the crash. 
Hernandez, 27 years old, is from Texas, admitted one misdemeanor count each of willful, willfully resisting driving under the influence of alcohol when she appeared in court on December the 20th. She was sentenced to three years probation, according to the Riverside County District Attorney's Office. Now, police in California frequently set up checkpoints in an effort to catch unlicensed, uninsured, or impaired drivers, but according to state law, they have to warn motorists of the presence of the checkpoint, which they sometimes do with the electronic signboard. For our next story, we're going on a road trip to Ohio, of all places, to celebrate the birthday of one Florence Hackman. Flo turned 105 on December the 16th. Absolutely amazing. Now, Flo is a lively gal. She's a resident of the Traditions of Deerfield Assisted Living Community over in Loveland, Texas, and is described as the life of the party and someone who reminds the community of how joyful life can be as we age. And apparently Flo likes to drink a bit of Fireball every single day. That's Fireball whiskey, by the way. And her birthday, no exception. Fireball actually heard about her love for the cinnamon whiskey spirit and surprised the birthday girl with 105 shooters. Girl got some shots for her birthday. Surrounded by 50 guests, Hackman celebrated her birthday by watching the Cincinnati Bengals and drinking her Fireball. The hashtag, hashtag Fireball Flow has been shared on social media as people wish the now 105-year-old a happy birthday. Oh, and the football game? The Bengals won the game against the Minnesota Vikings on Hackman's birthday, and the score is 27-24. With the holiday season in full swing, Brett Ingram, 29 years old, a media marketing manager based in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, had to deal with this really unwelcome guest in her home this year. She was finishing up some work at home when she heard a soft sneeze. She said, I kept working thinking I was just maybe hearing some things. Then I heard it again with some other squeaking noises. Now, at first she thought her cat had brought in a rat or that some small kittens had somehow entered her home. Okay, reasonable assumptions, right? So after looking under the couches and behind the curtains, Ingram finally found the source of this mysterious noise. She said, as I'm crouched down behind my couch, I look over to the left and I just, I see this tail, a long, naked, rat-looking tail. And I stopped and I kind of looked up some more and I saw a large breathing ball of gray fur. Ingram made her way around to the front of the tree and located the culprit, an opossum. And just playing possum. So Ingram said she reached out to a friend who is a wildlife and rehab volunteer. But because it was late and the volunteers don't take night calls, the friend just shared some steps on the best way to remove the creature from the tree and her home. Ingram said her friend told her she'd be able to pull the opossum from the tree, but it became a little more of a challenge than Ingram anticipated. She said, I started to try to get him out, but he was holding on to the branches and he had some strength because he was pretty big. So Ingram was wearing some gloves to protect herself from the marsupial as she plucked each of its fingers off the branches to release it from the Christmas tree. And once Ingram had pried the creature from the tree, it squirmed out of her hands and of course it ran under the couch. Not going to leave without a fight, right? 
She said he ran behind the tree under the other couch and I just kept moving it and he would just do it over and over again. Ingram said she finally pushed the couch aside and was able to pick up the, the opossum under her arm just like a cat or dog. The opossum started showing its teeth, but no hissing. That's good. Ingram was able to calm the animal down before setting it outside her door and released it into the neighborhood. She documented the moment when she found the opossum and shared it on TikTok. And the video has garnered roughly 6.6 million views. Now, she believes the animal may have been inside her home for at least a couple of days before she found it, though she's unsure exactly how it got inside. But it's been two weeks since Ingram posted the viral video, and the opossum has not made another appearance outside of her home. Meanwhile, she is checking her security cameras just in case it decides to make another visit. Santa Possum kind of came a little early this year, didn't it? What a heck of a way to wrap up 2023. We finished up with some updates to the Patriots fan death and the Ruby Frank case. Luke Combs is a pretty stand-up guy, but a court is on Spencer's side in the Nirvana baby case. A former G League NBA player confessed to murder. We have a new Jeopardy host. We lost a special captain. Had a lot of cancellations and closures in the gaming industry. So shakeups at the box office for two weeks straight. A live fish shoplifted from a Beth Pro shop. A drunk driver hits a drunk driver warning sign. And finally, an opossum in the Christmas tree. I just couldn't resist. Sorry. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. And honestly, the whole year that I've been doing this. This was my 37th episode and the last of 2023. And I'm really, really looking forward to what's going to come next. Now, I do want to remind you, I include the links to all of my sources in the comments so you can see what I see and more. Also, don't forget to drop a comment or send us an email if there's a story you want us to cover. Join us the next time we check out the latest in entertainment news. Remember, stay comfy in the starter zone. See you guys next year. This is Amanda. Good luck and have fun. Listening to the Starter Zone with Amanda. I am Raven. We thank you for your time and support. Without you, we simply would not be. Please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on Facebook and Twitter at The Starter Zone. Have we missed something? Have something to say? Leave us a comment or send us audio clips for your chance to be on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. See you next time in The Starter Zone.